turn it on. There, there you go. Sorry, folks. A few technical issues this morning while Mark's away, which is scary because he's getting a sabbatical in a month or two, so we're going to be in big trouble. Awesome. We were going to show you a lovely multimedia about the Word of God, and so that's just failed on us. So just imagine you've seen a beautiful multimedia for a minute, all right? All righty. Dr. Uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman is a professor at the University of North Carolina. He's one of the world's leading experts in something called textual criticism, which is what scholars do in taking the thousands of manuscripts we have of the Greek New Testament and figuring out, based on all of those thousands, what the original text most likely said, because we don't have the, any of the original letters of Paul or the original Gospel of Mark or anything like that, because they're all written on papyrus, which was a, a paper-like substance made out of flax or reed that would rot within a, a number of decades. And so what we have are copies of the originals, but of course when you're copying by hand, some mistakes can creep in, and so the idea of textual criticism is to take all of the thousands of manuscripts and work out what, what did the Bible say, what did the originals actually say, and, and textual critics have got it nailed to about 99.99% and the 0.001% they there's a little bit of dispute over doesn't actually, isn't particularly significant um, anyway. So he's one of the leading experts in that in the world. But most of the textual critics, including one of the professors that was at the seminary I was at, while most of them are wonderful uh, followers of Jesus and committed evangelical Christians who love the Bible and love Jesus, Bart Ehrman has been on a fascinating journey in his life over the last 20 years or so to the point where he is now one of the leading critics of Christianity. So he's one of the leaders in the world today uh, in terms of undermining the Christian faith and, and pouring scorn on the validity of the Bible and everything else. And one of the ways he does that, he teaches religious studies at the University of North Carolina. And so one of the ways he does that is in an introductory New Testament class um, filled with 18 and 19-year-olds, um, he looks in his very first lecture at the lecture hall filled with uh, a bunch of these young, impressionable in North Carolina, many of them um, church-going teenagers. And he says to them in his opening lecture, put your hand up if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And if you did that in a New Zealand lecture hall, you might get like five. Um, in North Carolina, you get something like 70 or 80% because it's part of the Bible Belt and stuff. So, you know, all these hands go up across this lecture hall. And so then uh, Dr. Emmons says, okay, put your hands down. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have read the Bible in its entirety? And he says there's about 10 or 20% of hands go up. And he says, okay, I want to ask a question. And I'm not asking it of that small number that just put their hand up the second time. You're fine. And I'm not asking it of the 30% of you or so who didn't put your hand up to either question. I want to ask a question of those of you who put your hand up to the first question and didn't for the second. If you truly believe that you hold in your hands the very words of God, why don't you actually read it? And then he says, I would submit to you that the fact you don't read it says you don't really believe it is the word of God. Because if you really believed that the God who made us has spoken, that he has shared with us 
his story and his character and what he's doing and what he wants from us as creatures that he has made. If you really believe that you have got access to the very words of our creator and you can't be bothered with it, that tells me you don't actually believe it is the word of God. You can say you believe it all you like. But he says, I, have, I, I take more credibility from that small number who put their hands up the second time. If you don't read the word of God, if you don't know the Bible, don't tell me that you think it's God's very words. It's a rather challenging idea, isn't it? And he's pointing the finger, and he is doing that because he's deliberately, that is the start of a deliberate undermining of these freshmen who are new at university. It's the undermining of their faith that he will embark on over the next semester of studies. But I actually think he's got a really good point. We're in this, uh, this series called Summit Journey where we are considering together uh, as a key focus for this year what it means to really become more like Jesus. And our key question is how am I planning uh, to intentionally become more like Jesus this year? And we've got these, these four key questions to help us put our own plan of how we're going to become more like Jesus. The why, which is our motivation, which we've talked a few weeks ago, should be a, a gospel-driven growth coming out of the gospel of grace. The who, which we talked about a week after, which is that idea of intentional community and the idea of linking up together, whether it's in groups or peers or classes or teams and actually doing life together in relationship. And then we're in this, this, uh, this boldened part here, that the where question. Where in life are you planning to really work this year to want to become more like Jesus? And we're exploring seven key traits. And the invitation is not to go, man, I'm going to grow in every area of life. Instead, the invitation is to be quite deliberate and specific and intentional. And out of those seven areas of life, the invitation is, which one of those am I going to grow in? This is the way I formulated the question last week. Where is the Holy Spirit nudging me to grow with him in this next season of life? Which of these seven areas do I feel like God is prompting me to go, here's where I'd really love you to grow. Here's where I want to work with you this year to become more like Jesus. And so last week we looked at the first of these seven traits, which is Christ-like character. And today we want to look at this concept of a biblical mindset. Coming to the word of God and, um, and really having the word of God seep into our lives. See, if we're becoming more and more like Jesus, then one of the areas in life that we would become more like Jesus in, in his, would be his love and understanding and appreciation of the Bible. Jesus was a student of the Old Testament. In fact, it's fascinating in the Gospels when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness over a period of 40 days and 40 nights by the devil, the way that Jesus combated temptation was through the word of God. Three times Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he's quoting off by heart the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. I mean, good night, when was the last time most of us even read the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy? Let alone know it, have memorized it the way that Jesus obviously had, because he was just coming back with the words of Deuteronomy time and time again in the face of the evil one. And so today I want to jump into this second trait of a, of a biblical mindset. Last week we gave out these, which is a, a handbook or a guidebook, we've called it, 
to go with the summit journey idea. There's a, there's a handful of them out on the info desk if you missed that last week. But it's taking everything in these nine or ten weeks about summit journey and boiling it all down into one simple little booklet. But in the middle pages of this, we've got these seven traits that we're working through over these seven Sundays, and then five key identifiers about them. A key identity, a key verb, a key challenge, a key passage, and then a key question. So last week, with Christ-like character, the key identity was that I'm a disciple of Jesus. In other words, he's my rabbi, my teacher, and so as his student and his disciple, his follower, I'm wanting to become more like him. The key identity today as we think about having a biblical mindset is that I'm a student of God's word. And so that's who God calls me to be, one who knows the word that he has given to us. The key verb here is renew. So last week the key verb was become, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives helping us become more and more like Jesus as he transforms us and bears his fruit in us. The key verb that I've chosen for this particular trait is renew. And that's really uh, taken from this really well-known passage in Romans uh, chapter 12. Do not conform, Paul said, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, which is what Summit Journey is all about, becoming more like Jesus. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And I think that renewing of our mind is done in a number of ways, but the primary way that happens is by us jumping into God's word and allowing the scriptures to change and transform us. The key challenge I said last week was, I think, discouragement. I think the challenge for, for most of us when we think about Christ-like character is honestly we get down on ourselves and we look at our lives and we compare ourselves to Jesus and we think, good night, I'm nowhere near him. And in fact, what I've found in my life is that the older I've become and I think the more mature I'm becoming, I feels like I'm further back in terms of likeness of Jesus than, than when I was younger, and I thought I was actually doing better. And um, I think, on, honestly, many of us get discouraged, and our key challenge in becoming more like Jesus in our character is that we get discouraged. And so my primary hope last week that I was breathing winds of encouragement into your sails. This week, I'm going the opposite way. Because honestly, I think our key challenge when it comes to having a biblical mindset and being people of the book I honestly think the key challenge for many of us is apathy. We just can't be bothered. We're too tired at the beginning of the day. And if you're like me, you need a coffee and about three hours to get going. Or we're too tired by the end of the day. Or Netflix is too exciting. Or we're too busy with our household. Or we're too busy with our leisure or whatever it is. But we just simply don't find time. I came across a quote this week by a um, really well-known theologian, R.C. Sproul, who just died in the last year or so, passed away. But he wrote this incredibly, just get ready, all right, this is going to hurt. All right, here's what he wrote. He said, we fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, and not so much because it's dull or boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. It's like, oh. And there was a part of me when I, when I read that that kind of cringed slightly. But there was another part of me that was nodding. Because I think it's true. And so my hope today, if last week my hope was to, to really bring encouragement and breathe life into your sails, my hope this week is that I bring challenge. 
And, and, and honestly, if I boot a few of you up the backside spiritually while I'm giving myself the same boot, then um, I think that's a pretty cool thing because I think this is one of the biggies uh, for us. So the key passage that I want to use as we explore the second trait of what it means to become more like Jesus is actually a beautiful part of God's Word. It's Psalm 119. So if you've got a Bible, paper Bible, if you've got your app on your phone, um, the app's going to be challenging today because this is a very long psalm. And so I want you to come with me, if you would, to Psalm 119, and I'll talk about this psalm uh, in just a moment. The key question is the final one of these fifth key ideas about this, uh, this particular trait. And the key question, each of them are, are being worded as a question rather than a normal big idea. And each of them begin with these words, to what extent? So it's an opportunity for us to step back and look at our lives and just assess how we're doing in this particular area of life. But this is the question for today. To what extent do I passionately love God's word, spending time regularly reading it, and then applying it to my life? And so that's the question I want us to reflect on today. To what extent do I passionately love God's word and regularly reading it and applying it to my life? That's the, the invitation for us today. Psalm 119 is a beautiful part of God's word. It's the longest psalm out of the 150 psalms in our Old Testament, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. In fact, in, in my Bible, it's about three and a half pages, just one chapter. It's 176 verses long. It is ginormous. But what's beautiful about it is it's what's called an acrostic poem. You know, so an acrostic poem is one that starts with consecutive letters of the alphabet. So if you have a look, if you've got your Bible open to Psalm 119, either your paper Bible or your app, what you'll see at the beginning of verse 1, above verse 1, is a funny little symbol and then a, a, a word, Aleph. And Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that funny little symbol is Aleph. So it's kind of like a Hebrew A, effectively. Well, it's not really like a Hebrew A, but anyway, that's close enough. But that little symbol is Aleph. And then if you drop down the page uh, between verses 8 and 9, there's another little symbol, and that's the Hebrew letter Bait. And what happens is this psalm is divided into stanzas of eight verses each, and there's 22 of them because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So if you scroll all the way through the psalm, you will find sections of eight, stanzas of eight, and every single one of them has consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, and so on. Now what's interesting is that in that first stanza of eight verses, in the Hebrew text of the psalm, all eight verses begin with a word that starts with Aleph. And then the next stanza, all eight verses begin with a word that begins with bait, and so on. So this is a highly crafted piece of literature. This has been brilliantly and beautifully constructed by whoever it was that wrote it. We don't know who the author was of the psalm, it's anonymous. But it's someone who took intricate care to weave this amazing acrostic poem of 176 verses. There's a couple of other places in the, in the Old Testament where poetry is done like this. Lamentations 3, a couple of the other Psalms in the Old Testament. But in those cases, it's 22 verses long. 
So the author only had to figure out one word for each letter to make that work. In this psalm, the author had to find eight different ways of expressing truth about God's word, starting with each letter. And it's been beautifully and brilliantly crafted. And in this letter, the focus of Psalm 119 is God's word. So out of the 176 verses, 171, all but five, specifically mention God's word. Uses about eight different words. And so as you read it, um, there's, there's law, which is the Hebrew word Torah, but there's precepts and there's commands and there's word, and there's eight different words that are used, but they're scattered all the way through it, and, and the whole psalm is a celebration about God's word from, from beginning to end. And so what I want to do today is I want to use a little piece of the psalm, or three pieces of this. I want to go to three stanzas only out of the 22 and just look at them to help us think about this, this reflective question that I want us to grapple with. To what extent do I passionately love God's word, regularly reading it and applying it to life? So my first question, the first part of that, is do I passionately love God's word? That's the, the first part of that reflective question I want to think about. And I want to invite you to come um, to the, the stanza pay, which is what the P-E up there is. That's, that's a Hebrew letter, pay, and it's in verses 129, 136. This is where if you've got a paper Bible, you're at an advantage because you can turn a couple of pages and you're there. If you've got an app on your phone, you're going like this. Verse 129. Oh, 68. But you'll get there. You'll join us. Let me read that for you. Uh, Passionate loving God's word. Verse 129. It's the beginning of the stanza. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. This stanza is really about the psalmist's deep love for God's word. That's why uh, it opens with this, this line here, your statutes are wonderful. Why does the psalmist say that? Well, it gives a number of reasons through the, the, the course of the stanza as we go. For example, um, verse 130, it says... It brings light in the darkness. It gives understanding to the simple. So the idea is that the word of God in a dark world illuminates where we're going. In fact, that's exactly what it's said in probably the most famous verse in this psalm. Uh, back in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's essentially the same thing now being repeated in this verse. And so the psalmist is saying, um, that your statutes are wonderful because it gives light, it gives a sense of direction to where we're going. Uh, secondly, it satisfies the thirsty. Down in verse uh, 131, I open my mouth and pant. It directs our paths, verse 133. It, it helps us sense the smile of God, if I could put it that way, in verse 135. 
135 talks about letting your face shine on your servant and teaching your decrees. I actually think that all of this little stanza has echoes of the Exodus story and the walking through the wilderness. The idea of God giving light in the darkness and the idea of bringing water to the thirsty and and God's face shining on his people is lots of imagery from the story of the Exodus found in the books of Exodus and Numbers. In fact, that that idea of his face shining on us, which is a sense of God smiling on his people, actually comes from the beautiful high priestly blessing that the high priest would pray over God's people. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh turn his face toward you and give you peace. And it's as though the, the, the psalmist, as they write this particular stanza, is reflecting on that. How do I know that God is gracious to me? How do I know, especially when life's hard, that his face is shining towards me, that, that, that he is smiling on me? I know that when I'm in his word. I know that as I read what his word tells me about who he is. And the more I soak myself in his word, the more I realize how wonderful his statutes are because it connects me to him. I love the way this idea is summarized in um, in an earlier verse uh, in the psalm, verse 72. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. In a materialistic Western culture, that should actually jar us a little bit. Because the almighty dollar is kind of king in our world and in our worldview and where we live. And the psalmist is coming and saying, you know what? God's word's more important than my paycheck. God's word is more important than having a beautiful home. God's word is more important than having financial security and a, and a, and a good, healthy Kiwi saver bank balance. It's more important that I know and love God's word than I worry about all the finances of the world. And yet the reality is when we look at our lives, we put much more focus into that other stuff than necessarily into what God has given us in this gift. See, the psalmist here is saying, I love your word. I am blown away that the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself in words on a scroll or a page or an app that I can pick up and meditate on and read and learn from and sense his smile and find his direction and know his heart. And I love God's word. So the question for us to consider is, do I passionately love God's word like that? Second part of our reflection question then is, do I regularly read God's word? Do I regularly read God's word? And we're flicking back a couple of stanzas now to the one called Mame, is, is kind of how you pronounce it. Um, it looks like Mem. Could be a meme, but it's Mame, so it's not a meme. But um, beginning in verse 97, this next stanza, if you've got it there in front of you, it says, Oh, how I love your law. So it's very much tied into this earlier idea. How I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. 
I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. If last time the stanza was kind of headed up, your statutes are wonderful, this time I think the, the key idea of this stanza is this idea from the second half of the verse, of the opening verse, I meditate on your word all day long. I meditate on what you have said all day long. Now, meditate doesn't mean I'm constantly reading the Bible. It's not as though the psalmist is saying, when I'm plowing the field, I'm also holding the scroll and reading at the same time, because the plow would kind of divert somewhere weird. It's not like when I'm kneading the dough to make bread, I'm, I'm, I'm also reading the scroll and the recipe at the same time. It's not the idea that I've always got my nose in the book. The idea is, though, that I am so often in your word that as I go through the normal course of life, my mind keeps going back to it. So I'm reading, and I'm reflecting, and I'm praying, and I'm living it out. I remember when I was a teenager, I was hearing, um, it was one of the messages that I actually remember from my dad preaching. Um, was he was talking about getting God's word into our hearts. And he coined a phrase that I can still now remember, even though, you know, it's 20 years since I was a teenager. <laughs> Thank you for that laugh. <laughs> um, the, the phrase he coined was that you should read God's word and find the barley sugar. And I don't know if you remember barley sugars. I don't even know if you can buy barley sugars still, can you? Is that like the hard lolly? But he said, he said the idea is to, to read God's word and find one little nugget that you want to just think about and meditate on. And he said it's like putting a, a barley sugar in the back of your mouth and just letting it slowly dissolve through the day. I, I really love that image. And it's stuck with me all of these more than 20 years um, since I heard that in, in a message that he gave. The idea of allowing God's word, that's the idea of meditation, to reflect on God's word. Why should we do that? Well, he gives a couple of reasons. Number one, here in this stanza, he really emphasizes the wisdom that God's word brings to our lives. Wisdom is not simply knowledge, as I said a couple of weeks ago. Wisdom is the ability to live life well in light of what God has said and in light of who he is. So it's a skill in living well according to what God has has given. And that's what he goes after. Notice the comparison that he does in the first half of the stanza. He says, your commands make me wiser than my en enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, which a number of you at high school already know that. Um, I have more understanding than the elders. So he says, in comparison to all these other people, because I'm steeped in God's word, it brings incredible wisdom into my life. And so if you're a person that's going, gee, I, I wish I was just a little wiser in decision-making. I, I wish I could figure out life a bit more often. The psalmist would call us to be in God's word more because it brings wisdom to life. And it also brings direction. There's a couple of times in the second half, he talks um, in verse, uh, uh, what is that, 104. Gee, my eyes are getting bad. No, 101. I've kept my feet from every evil, evil path. Or the last stanza, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. So it's the idea that, that, that God's word both gives wisdom for life positively and keeps us from, from evil and from walking in the wrong direction negatively. 
And so he says, in light of that, that's why I meditate on his word day and night. And that's what he's doing. See, he says that time and time again in the stanza. I meditate on your word in the opening verse. In verse 99, he talks about the same thing. I meditate on your statutes. Your word, he says in 98, is always with me. I've not departed from your laws. So time and time again, he is coming back and saying, I want your word. I not only love your word, but because I love it, I am deliberately spending time in it. Um, One scholar on this, Donald Whitney, has written these words, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There's simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. It's a really strong statement, but I think he's right. There are other disciplines, there are many other things we do in our Christian lives, but the word of God is absolutely foundational. In fact, really, he's echoing there what Peter wrote in words that we looked at last year. First Peter 2, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God in context, so that you may grow up in your salvation now you've tasted that the Lord is good. So do I passionately love God's word like the, the, the author of this psalm does? And then the second question is, do I regularly read God's word? Now, when I use the word read there, it may not necessarily mean read. I think that's the standard way we do it. We open God's word and we read. But in other cases, there's other, more, there's other creative ways to do that in the world we live in. It may mean uh, sitting down and just reading large chunks of the Bible. And so like a, a one-year Bible plan has, has you reading four or five chapters at a time. But it may be uh, more reading quite slowly and and carefully and studying and digging into key passages of the Bible. But what I think would also qualify here is listening to the Bible. So for those of you who do have the Bible app, which is a free app, by the way, if you don't have it on your phone, um, the Bible app reads to you. And so if you're not a reader, if you don't actually enjoy reading, um, you can actually just turn to the passage that you want and click on the button, and, and the doodle read to you. It's awesome. So like if you're, if you're commuting, sitting in a bus, you can put your earphones in and, and close your eyes and listen to the Word of God. Or you can do it while you're driving. You can have a quiet time while you drive. It's really cool. And, and there's other ways to take in the Word of God. There's some beautiful devotional resources out there. So So if you kind of feel like you get a bit stuck and don't know where to go, use devotions. Um, This year, I'm I'm doing that. I'm actually using this devotional here. It's one by by Tim Keller, which is no surprise for those of you, because I like Tim Keller. But Tim and his wife Kathy have together written two devotionals. One that, that Roland and Elaine gave me a few years ago that takes you through the book of Psalms in a year. And this one, the new one, The Way of Wisdom, which takes you through the Proverbs. And so each morning, I'm just uh, sitting down, actually each morning's probably a little exaggeration. Most mornings, most mornings I sit down with a cup of coffee and wake up reading the Herald on my phone until I'm slightly alive. Um, And then I just open up this and I just read an excerpt from the Proverbs and a little paragraph and a closing thought-provoking question and a prayer. And honestly, it takes me about a minute. But it's, I love it. It's just a fresh new way for me to start each day. And I'm a bit different because I get paid to be in God's word all the time. 
But I find this is just a really fresh and beautiful way for me to just kick my day off. And so really, when I'm saying, do you regularly read God's word? I'm not saying that you should be sitting down for half an hour every day, you know, with the Hebrew text, looking at Aleph and going, good night, what am I doing? I think there's multiple ways to bring this into life. But are you doing one of those? That's the, the key, I think. Do I passionately love God's word? Do I regularly read God's word? And then thirdly, do I consistently apply God's word? Do I consistently apply God's word? And this is where I want to take us back to the opening stanza, actually, the very first one, Aleph, in Psalm 119, verses 1 to 8. This is what he says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of Yahweh. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do, not wrong, they do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. See, that's where the psalmist actually begins the psalm. So logically, I've put this last, but actually that's where the psalmist begins. It's not enough to just love God's word, and it's not enough to make sure you're taking in God's word, but actually you need to apply God's word. We need to take what God has said in his word and actually obey it and actually live it out. And when we do that, the psalmist says right at the top end how he starts the psalm, we're blessed. We're blessed. But that's not only how this psalm starts, that's how the entire book of Psalms begins. Psalm 1 starts exactly the same way. Blessed is the person, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of Yahweh and who meditates on it day and night. See, notice, again, in this psalm, it's all three. It's delighting in the law of God, passionately loving his word. It's meditating on his law day and night. It's regularly taking it in, reading God's word or listening to it, whatever that looks like. And it's the one who doesn't walk, the one who, who um, deliberately obeys what God has said. The idea of blessing here is, is both the objective idea that, of realizing that we stand in good company and good standing with God by his grace. But there's also a subjective side of this, the sense of joy that comes from knowing you're in right relationship with God and you're actually getting to walk through life in company and relationship with the creator of the universe. And both in this psalm, Psalm 1, and in this one, it's the person who does that. Now this psalm, Psalm 119, is a, a, a little hard because it says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Blessed are those who keep his statutes who do no wrong. And that starts to feel like good night. But the idea of that in the, in the Hebrew worldview was not someone who was perfect. It's not the idea, blessed is the person who never ever makes a mistake and is always perfect, because that rules out all of us. It's, it's more saying, blessed is the person whose general rule of life is walking with God. Which is us. It's not, it's not, it's not a perfection thing. It's a blessed is the person who, who strives after God and wants to live for him. See, down in verse 4, the whole perfection idea gets undermined because look at what the psalmist says. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. In other words, oh, I wish I did this better. And then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. Why does he say that? Because sometimes 
The psalmist says, I read his commands and I feel shame. Because I don't always live it out. So this is not a statement saying, man, you should be much better than you are. But it's saying, hey, there is tremendous blessing in being the person who loves God's word and reads God's word and does what his word calls us to do. And that's exactly what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock and the storms come and everything things and yet it doesn't fall down. But notice carefully what Jesus says. This is the person who hears my words and puts it into practice. It's not just about reading the Bible. It's not just about hearing the words of Jesus and feeling good that I've ticked off a box in my to-do list for the day. It's a person who passionately loves God's word and out of that passion for God and his word wants to spend time in it. And then as we spend time in it and see what God's word calls us to do, then we become people who live it out and do what God has says. That's where blessing is found. So do I passionately love God's word? Do I regularly read or take in God's word? And do I consistently apply God's word? To what extent are we doing each of these things in our lives? Right, to finish this morning, I want to do something a little bit different, actually. I have assembled a panel of world-class experts on the Bible. Actually, I haven't. I've assembled a panel of ordinary Summit Church people. And so uh, Nathan and Bryn and Frankie and Rochelle are going to come and join me up here. And I assured them they're not gurus, and that's not why I've asked them up. So... And I wanted to end this way because I wanted to actually have... There you go, team. I wanted to have the voices of just ordinary people in our church talking about what this looks like in their life just real practically and, and have a little bit of variety to this. And so here's a nice variety mix of people in our church. And I, I just thought it would be kind of cool to finish this way today and think about, hey, what does this look like in, in, in their life and in their rhythm and in their world and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to pass the microphone to... Well, there, well one person is not ordinary. But, oh, sorry. All right, shall we start with Bryn? All right, we'll come along. All right, so just a couple of questions here. So how do each of you personally get into God's Word regularly? You know, what does that look like uh, in your life? Okay, for me, I'm... Um, <clears throat> bit of a confession, I'm called a streaker. <laughs> what that means is that I'm so motivated by task that, um, though it's not legalistic, every morning I get up and I want to continue my streak. And that means reading the word. And so I'm over 400 days in a row, but I don't want to lose that. I lost it last January. <laughs> and it sounds strange, but that's a small motivation for me. I'm someone who likes to do 10,000 steps a day as well. Those sort of things motivate me. But having said that, getting up in the morning, I've just created a habit with the Bible app, and I go through, not the Bible in one year, the Bible in three years, that's more manageable, but alongside that, do a, um, a more fun devotional, and I do that with, with sometimes paired with my wife, or with the kids, and with the app, you can also, um, yeah, compare notes, you can write little things to each other, I can see what some other of you in the church are even doing, so I find that works really well for me. 
Um, for, for me, I'm, I'm the opposite of Brent because I, I, I tried the Bible up and it keeps reminding you that you haven't read today. <laughs> and, and, and I don't like that. <laughs> so, so recently I've gone back to reading um, using the devotional Our Daily Bread and that has an app and it doesn't remind you. So every morning I get up in the morning and I sit down, have my breakfast, and I open up the devotional, and like you, that's, that's, that's my devotional in the morning. Cool. Uh, so I have always sort of struggled with getting into habits. I don't um, have a lot of time in my day, and my days are often really different, so every day I have a completely different schedule um, with uni and, and other different commitments. So what I've gotten into the habit of recently is, even if my day is different, I always start it and end it on a bus, sitting an hour and a half public transport on a bus. So what I've gotten into a good habit of is just having a few devotionals on the Bible app. Um, and they're normally quite short because if they're too long, then I don't finish them. Um, but if they're like three to five days um, or maybe, maybe 10 days if I'm really pushing it, um, I'll go through um, those and they um, don't take too long, but they give you a good sort of scripture so you can sort of start with a devotional and then keep reading um, further on that, and I really like that because it's um, you, the, the devotionals, you can sort of find ones, there's so many different ones, you can find ones f- towards what you're wanting, like if you realise, oh no, I have a really bad problem with, you know, like um, anger or, you know, I don't really tend to treat other people with fairness or whatever it might be, there's a devotional for that, I promise, <laughs> um, and that's quite cool because you can sort of look at where you want to build um, yourself or where you want to learn more about and sort of really direct your learning with that. Awesome. Thank you. I am a little bit of a combo, I think, between Bryn and Nathan. Um, I have done all kinds of things over my life um, in terms of reading the Bible and devotionals and all that kind of thing. Last year, I needed, at the end of the year, I kind of felt like I needed a kickstart with my reading of the Bible even though I'm married to a pastor. And, um, and so I have joined up with a thing called Knowing God. I think Brad's going to put it up on the screen, but it's, a, um, it's an online Bible um, devotional kind of a study that walks through the Bible through a few years, actually, um, from Genesis to Revelation. And it has been a great thing because it, I do get a notification. You can get it on Messenger or um, email, but sometimes I ignore it. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't have to have my streak like, like Bryn. Um, so sometimes I do ignore it and might read two in one day. Um, and I actually do want to read the two in one day because, because it's at the moment following through Genesis, I actually want to keep following through Genesis. So that's been a really good thing for me. Um, yeah, getting back into God's word a bit more and a bit deeper. Awesome. Um, I had a couple of other questions and I'm going to combine them because you've already kind of started to partially answer them. But I read recently that developing a habit, if you don't have one, can normally take up to two months to ingrain a habit into our lives. But the problem for many of us, certainly for me, is I grew up in a slightly legalistic church era and I think in my life I have so, I've swung the pendulum away from legalism but I'm starting to feel like many of us, including me, have so swung that pendulum 
away from legalism, we've swung it so far that even developing a godly habit isn't always something we want to do. And somewhere in the middle of that, we need to find a way, I think, to build good habits into our lives without it feeling legalistic. So the question is, not assuming you've nailed that, but how are you trying to do that, to build a habit without it feeling legalistic? Even a streak, it doesn't feel like that's a legalistic thing. So how are you guys managing with that struggle? Um, yeah, the struggle's real for me with that, um, having grown up in a similar environment. Um, and I'm a person that likes to kind of keep things fresh, and, and if I get in a rut, it gets, yeah, I, I rebel against that. Um, so this, this particular um, online kind of one that I've been doing has actually really helped me with that. Um, having a notification, um, being part of an online community, you can um, have a look at it, um, knowinggod.co.nz, I think it is. And, um, and yeah, that's been a really good thing um, of, I don't know, taking away some of the legalism because mm. it's actually, because I've been doing it, I actually, it's something now that I want to do. Mm. Cool. Um, I think for me, I, I don't like to do things if I'm not enjoying it. Um, and so when I was in high school, which was a few years, uh, I don't want to say that, it was a little while ago, um, I sort of saw all my youth leaders and they were, you talk about like how they got into habits and they were, um, you know, they, they sort of seemed like people who were really um, reading the Bible all the time, like really doing all these great devotionals. And I was like, wow, I want to be like that. So I was like, 16, 17, trying to do it. It wasn't working. I wasn't really that interested. Um, and so it's only in the past year or two that I guess, I guess I've developed more of, a, of an interest. And I think that has sort of come from just part and part, just like always trying to develop an interest. It started a few years ago now. Um, and because I sort of kept trying to develop an interest, it has sort of taken a bit of time to actually appear. Um, but so I kind of... Um, had to just take that, that amount of time to get into it. So mm. I guess just not getting discouraged with if it's not um, sort of interesting you straight away. But then in saying that as well, you need to find things that you are interested in. Like I found that finding devotionals that relate to my life, relate to issues that I struggle with, relate to things that I want to find out about, um, is great for doing that. And just not pressuring yourself to do it every single day. Like <laughs> if you... If you just can't one day, that's okay. But rem remembering that you should probably do it as soon as you can. <laughs> so for me, I think it's, it's seasons. I go through seasons. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't like to do things for too long because they get boring and I just can't concentrate anymore. So what I do is I'll do something for a period of time. Sometimes I do a right now media um, devotional that's video which is easy because I can watch that and I can you know it's mm. it's like YouTube so that's easy um, so I'll go through seasons where I do one thing and then do something else and if I don't enjoy it I'll go do something else and keep my mind um, doing something that I find um, I'm interested in doing um, notifications don't don't help cool <laughs> and for me three quick things I brush my teeth morning and night it's not legalistic, it's just a good habit. <laughs> and, and same with reading the word. It just become, as Brad said, after time, a good habit. The kids also, a uh, quick thing, the, the kids see you reading the word. So that's kind of a good thing for a family. And, and then if we're doing a devotion together as a couple, 
you talk about the word together, and that's such a healthy thing to be doing as well, which we didn't do until doing this more regularly. So that's cool. That's awesome. So I hope what you've heard now is just how varied this is. And I think that's the key thing. What, is, what works for one person, like a streak or, or notifications, doesn't work at all for someone else. And so the key is, what, how are you going to find a way to build the habit of, of loving God's word and reading God's word and applying God's word? And I think it really is, what, how does that best fit your life and appeals to your personality and, and how is that going to uh, work best for you? The encouragement from today is that, is that Jesus was a word-based uh, person and teacher. And that if we're becoming more and more like Jesus, then, then we want to be people with a biblical mindset who are walking more and more in God's word. Hey, uh, that's our service. In a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be bringing uh, a couple of new elders to the church for a vote, including Bryn. So I'm saying it publicly now, Bryn, so we actually do it. So in light of that, Bryn doesn't know, but I'm actually going to get you to pray for us as an elder. You want to pass the mic back to him? Would you just commit us to God that we would be people who just grow in, in our ability to love and, and be in and live out God's word? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, the word that comes from you. And what a privilege it is to have your word that we have freely available, whether it's on an app or most of us have got Bibles at home. Thank you for the opportunity we have, the freedom in this country to open your word and know that we won't be persecuted like so many of our brothers and sisters around the world are. We just pray that we would seek more of you. We would love your word more and more and that we would share it with others where appropriate, be it in our families or people we work with. But Lord, may we just find that if we look back on this time, that in the in not too distant future, we can say we love the word more and more. Thank you, Lord God. We just pray that each and every one of us has a fantastic week and finds you in that week wherever we go, whatever we do. Amen. Amen. Would you thank this panel for me? Tell them pretty cool. Right? All right, and that's our service, folks. Thank you for being with us today. Um, if you would like prayer for anything, uh, this or anything else, there'll be leaders at the front. Otherwise, we're serving tea and coffee out there. Have a fantastic week.